It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Ten minutes ago, I blew up my studio monitors. I heard this blast of noise and then I smelled it. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the series. Uh, please do hit that subscribe button so you can keep up uh, well with all the interviews that I put out every single week. New one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Great way to keep up with uh, all your favorite artists and discover some new ones as well at the usual spots, including iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It's Spotify and Podchaser, NPR, WFBK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with, and that's me, Kyle Meredith, today catching up with Stephen Page. We're going to be talking about his new uh, solo record called Excelsior. Uh, it's a three-act LP, as he says, that touches on on grief, on loss, on loneliness, all told through his trademark brand of, of exceptional melodies and, and creative storytelling. Uh, Stephen's going to discuss the, the beauty of happy accidents, how music videos were the visual representation of songs and being forever tied to a Bare Naked Ladies One Week video, uh, and the difficulty of, uh, of being a touring musician in 2022. Uh, we're also going to talk about why space in the universe plays an important role in his songwriting, uh, his friendship with Ryan Reynolds. He wrote a song for Ryan just last year, uh, and that he's working on a new vanity project with a former Duran Duran member, Stephen Duffy. So let's do this and talk about Excelsior. It's Kyle Meredith with Stephen Page. How's it going? Well, let's do the congratulations, Excelsior. You've got a fine record. Uh, unbeknownst to you, you released it on my birthday, so I liked it uh, just uh, twice as much. I appreciate that. I know a lot of thought probably went into that. I did. I was I was thinking, when is Kyle's birthday? Okay, mm-hmm. that's the day it's going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> Not when is the deadline to get it in considered to be uh, to, to be considered for uh, 
any kind of Canadian grant stuff. Because ah, it's it. Canadians make our records. That's how my mom decided to have me as well. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> not even Canadian, not even close. Um, it is funny though. You know, I think a lot of fans do put that stock into their birthday being a part of your. You're, you know, it's the live show or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But that's um, I'm just inserting myself into your career already. And we've just no. started the interview. No, I get it. Because for me, like someone will say a date and I'll go, oh, that's the day maybe you should drive came out. And I think like the whatever that date of whatever I that, that one, I think is August 28th uh, is no longer my parents anniversary. It's not. It's no, it's about me now. I've made it about me. <laughs> <laughs> we are selfish human beings. <laughs> And I apologize. Uh, I seriously love this record so much. Um, in fact, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this is my favorite of your uh, of your records of your solo records so far. Just wow! It's, Thank it, you very much. It, it really is. So, and and I want to start like maybe it's the obvious question. You know, the first single was called Zoom, uh, but over the past couple of years, you've been doing the live from home series. To what influence or effect did, did do you think that that had on the record, if any? Well, it you know I started the record before the pandemic kicked in. I had a bunch of the songs on the go, and it was one of those things where I had, you know, built this record uh, from you know the the way we used to make demos, right? Uh, to go back to the very beginning, we used to go back and like we'd have a cassette recorder or something like that, and you'd record a very stripped down version of a song, and then would take it to musicians, whether you were in a band as I was or whatever, and they would all work out their parts. Well, now because of the ease and portability of technology and digital audio workstations and so on it's pretty easy to just keep building on stuff you re-record a vocal you re-record a guitar part you do a scratch kind of bass part and then you get somebody else to play the bass on it and this record kind of was it was in that that stage where i had kind of built it up into these kind of elaborate demos of my own um and then th i thought well i will get other players usually I use the band the odds who are you know, some of the greatest musicians out there and great friends of mine. We'll, I'll go out to Vancouver and we'll record all those parts. That's what I've done in the previous couple of records. Um, and then the pandemic kicked in. So I kind of sat on this stuff for a while and I put all of my creative energy into the live from home shows. Meanwhile, I'm thinking I have to finish this record. It kind of becomes this looming cloud. Um, but I was doing everything like writing a different opening theme song every week and making a video for it. Like <laughs> things we did with our time under, under kind of the lockdown. It's amazing. I look at it now and I think I can't, I, I mean, I still do live from home shows on Saturdays when I'm home, but the idea of like, I'm going to write a one minute pop song that's going to encapsulate and the, whatever the, whatever's going on in the zeitgeist right now and make kind of a stupid video with um, stock footage to go with it. Uh, not knowing, have never done any video editing or anything like that before in my life. And then do it in front of a thousand people was that was how I spent that time. So the record kind of sat in the background again. And then early this year, I kind of went, okay, time to make this record. Cause I started, I ended up collecting songs. I was writing songs the whole time and never finishing the ones that I had started. And I have, you know, again, like I, I tend to do I walk into a record with close to 30 songs and then I think mm. well what's the album and it wasn't until the summer where I kind of had to make the decision okay decide what the album is work on those songs only and you're not going to be able to go somewhere and record this with another band you're the band Steve and uh which is terrifying so for me like putting a record out is always incredibly terrifying but putting a record out that is mostly me like singing and playing and 
like without having people going, no, no, no. How about this? Um, or here, I'll show you how to really play that or that kind of thing uh, was, I, I don't know, is this any good? Well, luckily maybe nobody's paying attention. And that was like my way of <laughs> allowing myself to put the record out. But thankfully, thank you, Kyle and, and other, other friends of mine who are, you know, musicians or, you know, fans who've been paying a lot of attention for a long time seem to really love the, this record, which makes mm -hmm. me feel. Yeah. Stop depending on other people. It's all about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, that's the other thing is I, when I think of like a record of somebody playing all the stuff, I think of like McCartney and McCartney too. Those are the templates for me. And those are all like the, whether they're true or not, the, the, um, mental picture that he wants you to take into the, into that and McCartney three, I guess as well is kind of very rough and ready you know it's the picture of him plugging into the directly into the into the multi-track tape machine and i made a record that sounds very lush and orchestral and it's me well, by myself in syracuse new york um it's a very kind of diff like it's it's not this it's not the visual i think the the listener can imagine uh, you know which is uh, a, a weird thing to get around I, I've had to come to terms with that over the years because, you know, when you grow up a music nerd and, and, and you live it, uh, and I've said this before, it's like your favorite albums and your favorite songs, uh, you know, the holiest uh, of, of the holy of the music it just feels like it does. It just, uh, I'm going to use that metaphor, it just drop from the heavens complete and here it is. Right. You know, as, as it goes, you know, how the sausage is made is very, very different. And, uh, and, and man, it's not magical and it's not pretty. But it is magical at the same time, like because because there is, it, I think the best records allow for happy accidents, no matter what. I mean, yeah, I will I will nudge a bass note until it's perfectly in place because I'm so terrified of somebody going ah bass note slightly out of time, um, <laughs> where you listen to your favorite records and the bass notes are out of time all over the place. But regardless, there are happy accidents, there are moments of inspiration that happen all the time, and those are the ones like. For me, when I go back to listen to a record, I can still feel them. Um, my friend Susan Rogers, who produced, you know, Prince is her biggest uh, claim to fame, but produced Stunt for Bare Naked Ladies and Bare Naked Ladies Are Me. She has a book out called uh, This Is What It Sounds Like. And a, a lot of the basis of that book is about how people imagine music, like how they, what they see when they hear music. Do they, some people see colors, some people see, you know, um, some people imagine that they're playing the instruments, which I was like, I've, I'm still kind of torn about how you're supposed to mix a drum kit. You know, are you supposed to listen to the drums and imagine that you're the player? So that means the hi-hats on the left, or do you imagine that you're in the audience, which means the hi-hats on the right? Like, to me, this is important stuff. Wow, yeah. Um, so um, for me, it's always, I'm imagining that I'm playing that instrument, even if I can't play it. I'm playing, I'm the guy doing that that uh, synth solo or whatever the thing is. Um, and she talks about how she imagines that she's in the room watching the magic happen. And then that's still the illusion we, we create when we make a record, is that, and so when you're doing it all yourself, what's the illusion you're creating? Is it an illusion of imaginary other musicians or is it multiple you or is it just better to wish that people just saw colors and shapes <laughs> that's know. uh you know the binaural recording uh i know producer chad blake he got really kind of famous for that you know because that 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 does allow for that sound that i'm in the room kind of that you know motion and and i do uh 
You know, but for me also growing up uh, in in the time of mandatory music videos, and I mean mandatory, and that's what we just watched all the time. That was that that was helpful because that's the image. You know, all my favorite songs. It's really the music videos that I'm still imagining. You know, or oh, feeling totally. at least. And that uh, you know, we have music videos are still being made all the time, but it's I don't see them as much, so that's not being imprinted in my head. Yeah, it's exactly right. I think you know, for for those of us in the golden age of, of music video. Uh, for better or for worse, you know, that's what I grew up watching. Like I was thinking about when I was in my 20s, was thinking about Duran Duran mm -hmm. as a, you know, an artist that was kind of like, my my memory was that I, that they weren't for me. It was for the girls in my class. And, you know, I was aware of them and I kind of made fun of them a little bit. And then I went to my parents' house one day and put in a VHS tape that I'd found that had my handwriting on it. And I had literally every Duran Duran video that I had recorded off TV. And I knew all the words to all the songs. And of course, I love that music, but it took me a long time to come to terms with it because I saw it as being connected to a, a certain social group. And, uh, but the fact that you'd sit there and record on, on the VHS um, music videos. So of course, yeah, you're watching people playing all these, all these fills. And then when you actually get to the point where you're playing them yourself or you're in the video, and one thing that you did once in the studio and would never do again becomes the thing that you have to figure out how to play because the camera's on you. Well, I mean, and and to your point, Duran Duran, we're not a bunch of people that hung around on yachts and boats all the time. But suddenly, because of two videos, the rest of their life is associated with them on boats. No, and why not? I mean, that's what, what a good glamorous image. I mean... They didn't live in Sri Lanka either, but there's like, you know, elephants and stuff. Yeah. But it, it, be careful what you wish for. That's the thing is like you got to make sure that you choose vid when you're when you're choosing treatments back in the day when videos cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Choose the one that you would like to, to live in. You yeah. choose the world you want to live in. And I'm sure you've got those. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, Bare Naked Ladies had a lot of hits, but you also had several very big music videos that, you know, do, do you do you find that there are those moments that you're you're sort of tied to uh, visually? Oh, I mean, obviously the one week video is such a big thing. And it was, it was not only was that video big for us, but it was like the look of that video, Mick G who directed it, did a lot of other videos at that time. So there's Offspring and Corn and Sugar Ray. And, and they all have that same filter. I talk about that late nineties. I don't even, cause I don't have the terminology, but it's, it shines, it pops. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're really, really, really bright colors. Lots of like, you know, bold colors against white and so on. And you know, in, influenced by 70s TV is kind of part of the look, but way over the top version of it. Um, it's somewhere between uh, 70s TV and 90s porno. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it kind of has like, it's it, right. if so LA in a way that for us as a very non LA kind of band felt incredibly novel. And the thing is with McGee, like, the reason we decided to do the video was just because he was so energetic and hilarious like at the meeting like he got up on the table and he's you know very very demonstrative and very loud and we we're like this guy's hilarious we had to do something with him um and we wanted to do another another video with him and the label was like you know maybe you should try a different look because that's kind of a thing and um they're they were absolutely right we were kind of bummed about it but mm -hmm. it was very it's so much of its time um that it's less about us and more about the look of the video because in real life, as I just noticed, uh, your uh, gray hoodie and black shirt, same, 
damn thing that I'm wearing exactly. <laughs> I thought I thought as I was going to go, I thought, oh, I'm going to be on a camera today. I could put a button-up shirt on. I was like, nah. I did the same thing, put on my gray hoodie, and I just looked over as we're talking about bright colors and popping, and we're both wearing this exact <laughs> same outfit. <It's... laughs> McGee has nothing to do with this interview, as you can probably no, tell. No, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't art direct this or style it or anything else. And we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies. Yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice. It affects my mood. It affects everything. And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them work better than others, but there's there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. With all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Stephen Page. So you know you're you're talking about Patreon and 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 these live from home series and and how it kind of pushed the album back and and I've wondered that about you know artists who have successfully transitioned to to Patreon and and what's going on there because do you find because you are producing so much content as you're saying theme songs every single week and the alphabets uh, do you find that that sort of takes 
some of the pressure off of of doing an album and and then on the opposite side does it give you material like could you put out a a live album of this or does that still only live for your subscribers well no i could totally put a live album of this out but i've done 94 of these shows and for me i the I honestly, the idea of listening back to any of that stuff just makes my skin crawl. I can't, I mean, I hate listening to myself anyways. Uh, and listening to myself in that situation where I'm just playing an acoustic guitar and singing. And I sang, I mean, what was what, what has been so great about it for me creatively is I've kind of come to terms with my entire catalog. You know, every, I've done every song I've ever written. Every, uh, I've done every Bare Naked Lady song, album in order, including the songs that I didn't write or sing. Um, and it made me kind of like learn to love that stuff in a way that I hadn't yet, especially since I've been out of the band and, and kind of, you have to kind of create a narrative about what was good and what wasn't good and what you're proud of and what you're not proud of. And, you know, now over the, especially that, that was ther- really therapeutic for me. It helped me become proud of all of it or see the value in all of it, but it doesn't make for great uh, archive recordings because i'm fumbling around trying to figure out how to play a song you know i've maybe practiced it a couple times during the week but still then the camera's on and you see the the people in their zoom boxes very excited to hear you play spider in my room or something and uh and you just blow it but anyways i would keep dropping hints to fans i keep saying if anybody wants to go through the the archives of the live from home concerts and make like a spreadsheet of what they think the best performances are then maybe we can together make a proper live album. Nobody's bitten. <laughs> I mean, it's quite an undertaking. I think I think maybe if, if I had said that back in like November of 2020, you might have had some people like who were like, I got lots of time in my hands and I'm sure really but that's different. Yeah. Now people are nostalgic. People who still come to these shows are nostalgic in a way. The people who came to the initial ones were nostalgic for their time listening to bare naked ladies when they were in college or whatever and now the people who come are just nostalgic for their time going to the live from home concerts in 2020 <laughs> and 21 um i'm and i'm just here to serve <laughs> but you know i think the thing is there is a difference between kind of a proper what i would call a studio album and the patreon stuff because the patreon stuff is like for, for people who are really like they want all the content they want to stay totally up to date and they are like the the biggest fans and the most not all of them not all of them are completists like my fans aren't aren't necessarily as aren't always as obsessed with stuff the way i was when i before i was a full-time musician um where i had to have everything and know everything and read all the liner notes and and some people just love it and that's it and i think and i've learned to love that too because i think i used to want them to like music the same way that i like it and over time and the pandemic helped this too helped me understand and appreciate the different uses people have for the music i make um so i made this record partially because i just it's what pushes me forward it's what it's the it's the forward motion you have to have as a human being Live from home and all that other kind of stuff, the Patreon stuff has really, especially during during um, the height of the pandemic, but still now, it's really kept me uh, engaged with the fans, but also with just making stuff and and cataloging it and putting it out there and talking about it in a way that I never did before or was afraid to before. But uh, 
I thought I had to make a new record in order to get back on the road again, not anticipating how hard touring would be when things open back up. And that's where we are now. It's like, you know, I'm sure you're hearing from everybody how difficult it is because one of the worst parts is we're all competing against each other. I mean, it's always been inherent in, in, you know, making records and touring is you're kind of competing with other people. But, you know, for instance, I played in St. Louis a few weeks ago in a venue right next to the venue where Guster was playing. Like, you know that those two artists have almost all fans in common. Like they're so intertwined um, that, and of course their show went on sale first, um, but people were, were annoyed and I don't blame them because they're like, and I don't think the promoters care because they're just kind of like, people are competing you, the way you, the way you get, uh, you book a venue now is you have to stand in line behind six other artists to say, well, you're the seventh hold on the Troubadour right now. And you have to challenge the person in front of you and you have to challenge the person, like until someone says, okay, now you have the gig because everybody else has dropped out of holding it. Um, so it's almost impossible to get stuff. So that means the routing is crazy. Everything's expensive and nobody cares. <laughs> like um, I'm happy that you're playing my, my music because most, most people aren't, but I luckily, I also went into this record going, you're a 52 year old man with a very, niche audience who are going to hopefully love this record and that's all you could do is get out there and play for them um but being out there live audiences being smaller because they have so much choice too or they, some people just don't want to leave the house yet it makes me realize that the online component is not over yet and that's yeah. that's fine no i was uh just yesterday um i was talking with shirley manson garbage yep. and similar Big situation ladies man no, she was very vocal back in the 90s about how much she hated our band. Is that right? Oh, yes. Apparently there was, a, there was I read one interview with the with the guys in the band who said the best way to piss her off was to play our music on the tour bus. <laughs> so it's so funny because I brought you up in that interview and I'm bringing her up in this interview. Not for the exact same reasons, though. <laughs> Although it's, it's it's similar, you know, because I was talking about how how you've really, uh, really succeeded on the uh, on the on the live Zoom concerts where a lot of people have already dropped off. <laughs> But for a band like that, you know, Garbage is still a very big band. They had a brand new album, uh, which was getting a lot of press. And yet it was financially sort of impossible for them to do a headlining tour. They chose to do two opening slots for one for Atlantis and, and one for Tears for Fears, two very big, you know, bills right there. And that was that was the only way they could do it. Like it's it's crazy to me. When I think of that in those terms, you know, and and I brought this up with her too, like, like as she was saying, like there are so many young artists right now who are just going to get steamrolled, creamed, you know, they're they're not going to be able to do it. But you also have people like Lord, uh, the artist Lord, um, that you know, as big as she is, she says if she were to go on tour right now, maybe she'll break even, and that's right. It. Yeah, I mean, she. I I read her her piece, and she was talking just talking at that level. You're talking about shipping large stage sets and so on. The, where the cost of that is so is so exorbitant now. Literally, like here on my tiny little scale, here was a thing for me on my last little tour of the American Midwest. Um, my keyboard here, I couldn't bring my keyboard out because to ship it to the first gig would cost me like I don't know, it was like eight hundred bucks. To rent one, you used to be able to rent one like at a gig sometimes 
that was always the case. Like if there's a real piano, I'll play it. And if not, we'll ask if we can rent or if they can rent us a, an electronic keyboard. And they'll come back and they used to be like, okay, 50 bucks. Great. They're seriously, venues are coming back and saying 500 bucks to rent a shitty keyboard here. It's like, it's crazy. Um, but they're, so they're not, they're not on our side. I mean, as much as they say they are, and as much as I was like waving the the Neva Save Our Venues flag during the pandemic, they're like, ah, we got lots of artists. Doesn't matter. 500 bucks. Okay, you don't have to have, have a keyboard. So eventually I I bought a keyboard, not a very good one, but I it was cheaper for me to buy one and get it shipped to Minneapolis where we started the tour because the shipping was free from the, from the music store uh, and play it on the tour and then what i did in the last show in dallas was i auctioned it off to somebody in the audience <laughs> said, it's a great christmas present for any kids who want to learn how to play piano it's not the best keyboard but it's not terrible or for a kid auctioned it off paid for paid for itself <laughs> thank you thank you to the fans who bought that but like that was that was that that's how low i've had to sink no, but that's how creative I think artists have had to get. That's that's a great example of right, that right there. You know that 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 you were able, even even you know as a joke, you know, yeah, it was sort of a necessity that had to happen, and that's that's, right. that's where we are. Totally, you just have to go. And I I tour like so cheaply. It's you know it's three of us, uh, and most of the stuff we can fly with uh, with us if we're flying somewhere in a van. Three of us plus a tour manager slash front of house sound man and we kind of do everything we're our own roadies we're our own tour managers all that kind of stuff and uh it works out great we're all grown-ups so we know how to do it but i don't envy uh i don't envy the a the larger organizations who are really struggling or the or the the young people who are just starting out like we just did these dates opening for the who which was the greatest i mean first of all to be able to be back on arena stages was mind-blowing and then even bigger was to be able to be on a show with The Who, one of my favorite bands of all time, and get to see them play every night and uh, and all of that. And just being able to do these shows and go over really well with the audience. Like, it, they worked great. We got an amazing response. And you have no idea going in. You think, are we going to get ignored, which is, the wor which is worse than getting booed? Um, and not at all. We got this amazing response didn't sell me any records but i don't even care about that anymore but i don't know to your earlier question like i don't even know what the point of making a record is beyond the creative so i'll just keep doing it for the creative side but like it's not getting me tour dates and the tour dates aren't selling spectacularly and the tour dates aren't selling tons of records like i don't know some there's a, there is a part of it you go well maybe it's easier to make a record and stay home which is like going on the road was always the way you made money, whether or not a record recouped. It's, it's like having to reinvent how you do your job in order to make it still a job. That's what the last few years has been about. Well, I, th I do think if, if you're able to take that option uh, and, and some artists again, who've either got a fan base already, you know, that, that will subscribe and, and, and do the monthly thing, or at least you're, you find that way as a new artist to find your online artist, uh, online uh, audience that, uh, that you can, I, I think these days, maybe, maybe there is that way to do that. You know, like you can just be that, you know, we, we wasn't just a few years ago, we called them the bedroom artists, you know, they made their whole record right there in the bedroom. And suddenly it was on, 
MySpace and the early streamers, uh, you know, getting a million billion or whatever. And, and then they were, you know, they were good, but they didn't tour either, uh, which is, you know, good for them. I, I just, unfortunately, that's, you know, like anything else, such a small percentage that that could happen. Well, that's it for everything. I mean, there's, it, it, there is such a small percentage that can be successful in the old paradigm. Um, but, you know, I say this to a lot of people in, in Canada, like in Canada, parents are obsessed. Some parents are obsessed with getting their kids into like professional hockey. Like that's a dream for a lot of parents. And I always say, think, count the 10 most success, successful Canadian hockey players you can think of. Now compare them to the 10 most successful Canadian musicians you can think of. Um, each one of those 10 Canadian musicians is far wealthier, more recognizable, more successful, quote unquote. And there are hundreds more that you can name like that, that are out there making a living. I think there are more professional musicians in Canada than there are professional hockey players who are making a living. Like there's still room to make a living making music. It's just a lot of times it's under the radar. That's it, kids. Don't play hockey. Exactly. I've, but this is my, this, this goes back to my thing where people are always trying to defend uh, arts education, music education in the schools. They say, well, it makes you better at math. And it's like, I don't care if it makes you better at math. It makes you better at music. Like music's a, it's a, it's a, it's a discipline. It's also a potentially a job. Um, you know, maybe a better job than math is. <laughs> and we'll be right back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Stephen Page. What you have created here, it's not a concept record, but there is a three acts sort of happening. And and I don't I'll, I'll just let you explain that because because what did you have in mind? How because now that we've heard like there are 30 songs and you have to decide what the album's gonna be, now we have three acts. Do they go together or is it just like these songs in many episodes go together? Well, I would say that like the first I mean, I have had some people explain to me their own vision of it being all one story arc, which I think is awesome. I like when somebody be, is able to read something into it that maybe I didn't even intend. I'm not big on telling people they're wrong. about I, I, mean, I used to be, as a younger artist, I'd be like, no, 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 the song's about this. Um, don't get me started on the old apartment. Uh, but uh, The one that I had in my head, too. I did. <laughs> but that's the one that, I mean, maybe I wasn't as clear. I left it. I left. I uh, left some of it open to your interpretation, and it made it creepier than I. <laughs> but then I think, well, if I just tell you the kind of the more bland version of what that song is about, maybe it's better creepier. Although not necessarily in this day and age, people seem to dislike songs with creepy narratives in them. Sometimes I don't know, but in this record. Uh, there actually are some songs that could have been part of this. I did have an idea of a story arc. I, I wrote a musical a few years ago that was based on the music from my previous two records, um, Heal Thyself Part 1 and 2. I, I kind of, it was kind of based on some of those songs and then other songs from those records 
were written specifically for the musical once the musical started moving forward. And then the musical was about to happen when the pandemic hit. We were actually like in full rehearsal. It was supposed to be on stage, like opening in May of 2020. So in March, we were like, the actors were learning the choreography and knew all the songs and all that stuff. It was really happening. And it still hasn't been staged yet, although I'm hopeful for maybe next year. We'll see. Um, but I thought, I don't know. I don't know if I want to wait another seven years to, to see this thing potentially maybe kind of end up on stage somewhere. Um, so I had, had a collection of songs that I realized that they were, well, they were all musically referencing each other. And there's, there are some that did get left out of this record that you'll hear musical quotes from. If you ever hear these songs, if they make it another next record, you go, oh, that melody from that song is also in this thing. Um, but uh, they just didn't feel as fully realized as what these ones were. I mean, so it's really, it's a record about grief and loss and loneliness um, through the point of view of somebody who, I mean, I, I don't want to paint the whole picture with characters and, and plot, but it really is about somebody who loses somebody close to them and is trying to cope with whether it's a parent or a, a sibling or a spouse, um, trying to cope with life without that person and trying to figure out how to connect with humans once they've had that pulled out from under them. Um, so you have songs like Human Doll that are about, you know, technology and the idea of how I think we are, you know, looking more and more to technology to take care of our human needs. Um, then you have songs like, like uh, uh, Infinitely Light Years that kind of really are about, do we even need human beings? And maybe we can't, no matter how much we wall ourselves off from each other, sometimes we find a connection with somebody else that we can't help. And maybe that is something to give us hope. And that could be spiritual hope. There's the idea of, of, of spiritual connection. It could be just about the pure science. You know, that's what I talk about in, the, in, in, in a bunch of these songs about, you know, I was reading a bunch of stuff and watching documentaries and so on on uh, on cosmology and so on and just kind of finding the you know i'm not the first to do this but to you know finding the 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 parallels and the metaphors uh for the human experience um in something that could be seen as being so vast and lonely and that's kind of what the record became so the last and then the last chunk of songs on the record which i'm calling side three because the vinyl version when it finally actually arrives will be three-sided record in the tradition of Joe Jackson's Big World, in my mind. Uh, the third side is the kind of the poppier songs, which the ones you're supposed to start the album with, but I just couldn't imagine starting with anything other than the song I started with, Feel. And they're the songs really that are more topical. You know, so you have songs like Golden Age of Doubling Down and Zoom and Something About Me that are really all about, I mean, they're about our current state of humanity but also about online culture and golden age of doubling down you know of course has been a big single at wfbk already um in that tradition of great pop songs that you write but but you know uh oh and by the way uh, that thought i had in there the uh when you mentioned human doll i was like you know what 
the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because, you know, if the old, the old apartment was a base level creepiness, then you've still got a little base level creepiness there with yes. Demon Doll. So it's. Yeah, I, I find I find those characters interest fascinating. I like to write songs about those characters. Not <laughs> I'm not that person. I just, you know, you stumble on somebody who's a little bit pathetic. <laughs> but, it, you know, without knowing what I was getting into when the record came on and, and letting it sort of unfold in front of me and, and starting to, you know, as it plays out going, Oh, Oh, this is, this is, you know, I'm most of my favorite artists do referencing, you know, over an album, over careers, you know, yeah. I know I'm backlined with Bowie right here and hell, Adam Duritz is over my shoulder too. And he's done a whole career of it, but, but I really got caught up in the space parts, you know, because you do what feel look to the stars, infinitely light years, as you mentioned, um, you know, because I don't know, I don't know, I do feel like, you know, I wasn't alive during the first space age, but I had a weird nostalgia for it, you know, as, yeah. as we do for times before us and everything. And and I do feel like we're in, you know, that new sort of thing. Um, and I just want to throw the easy part out here. What drew you to space? I know you're talking about watching these documentaries, but, but you know, what what does it mean for you in your songwriting? Um, you know, I think it's a funny thing, cause I, as, as far as I was trying, I was harping before about you know math education and so on stem versus arts <laughs> and i'm on team arts i was uh the stem type stuff was never a, a strong point for me i felt like it was always it was a stumbling block for me just to be able to understand and i came at it from an oddly religious perspective now writing this stuff like in a way where i don't i've always seen myself as being pretty skeptical if not cynical about religion in in, in a lot of ways but, um, you know, I'm Jewish, brought up Jewish, and I have to think a lot of times about what that means. Like, what, is, what has it taught me? What has it done that, that has, has somehow nourished me? And one of the things about it is the way that Judaism sees God. And in the sense that, like, first of all, you were allowed to be Jewish and an atheist at the same time, which is like the only religion where that's the case, essentially. Because it's also an ethnicity, it's also an identity. Uh, but even even for a religious Jew, you could question the existence of God and come up with the conclusion that God doesn't exist. If if you wanted to back it up, it's about backing up your 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 arguments. I mean, so much of Jewish writing is is rabbis arguing with each other over the ages, which I think that stuff is awesome. And that to me is like that is like scientific discussion. Um, the idea that that there is something in in science that we still don't know the definitive answer to, and the idea in Judaism of God is that we will never understand God or what God is, and you just so, so substitute that for the universe or uh, the nature of of energy or matter. Um, there are things missing that we will never understand. To me, that is fascinating because that leaves so much room for learning all your you know and the, the godly thing to do or the, or the is to keep trying to get to that place where you know but with the with acknowledging the fact that you'll never get there and that's what i think got me thinking about that was was how can i take these ideas and make them into something that has a a visual element and we've all imagined ourselves floating through space and that was the way to be able to do it uh it's beautifully done really through this record because th those are some uh yeah i'll just say it again those are some beautiful songs that kind of and 
and and I'm always I'm so impressed at how even the lyrics when they do get scientific you know the melody's still there it's still poetic it still flows because that's not an easy thing to pull off well the melody is the yeah thank you because the melody is the most important thing for me and yes it if you start to you start to let the the lyric there's so many discarded lyrics in the course of this record because of that like i would start to go well i said this thing and i said it exactly the way i wanted to or i finally explained this idea but it just becomes it sounds like somebody explaining an idea to you which is not art you know it's um that's might be an interesting conversation um the thing i kept reminding myself when i was going back and kind of rewriting lyrics and to an amount that i haven't done on other records like usually i write a song and it's kind of intact and maybe i switch out a little bit here or there later but they stay pretty intact this time around i did a fair amount of rewriting and the thing i kept saying to myself was nobody cares what you know they only care what you feel um and that was a big like it's it's kind of embarrassing to have to say that to yourself but it's the right thing because I like who cares what you can know anything you can look it up or whatever. It's how you feel that is the thing that people listen to music for. Um, because they're looking for ways to a new way to express the way they feel or trying to understand the way somebody else that they know feels so you use what you know to describe how you feel. But that's it. Yeah. Well, that's, I was starting to wonder, you know, if that, so when you get to like popular songs, Golden Age, um, or something, if there's something a release, but because they're poppy doesn't mean that they're easier to put together. I know that part too, you know, because that's a different kind of uh, different, uh, different bunch of weeds that you're in at that point. Uh, What I'm trying to get to here is the compliment that even when you have songs uh, like Infinitely Light Years and like Look to the Stars, you know what you're able to pull off in that same way in the golden age it's almost even more impressive because then you've got to get this whole concept and that melody that you're talking about has to be to a heightened degree you know you've done those your entire career do they come easier i don't think they come easier uh but i i certainly know to pay attention when they come and it's a funny thing when i was in bnl um you know sometimes you rely on similar chord progressions because they support the way a melody is supposed to go and you know like so there's a certain thing that i do it's kind of a um, i don't know it's it maybe it's somewhere between my sweet lord and i don't know uh you won't see me or something like that that i tend that tends to like show up in my songs a lot it's just somewhere in my dna and i think those guys were kind of like by the end we're like okay all right enough of that yes we've heard that like, you know, they, cause they're too close to each other in a way. Um, so there was a time where I kind of thought, well, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Um, but I've learned to just sit up when that, when that's, when that thing happens, there's something in me saying, pay attention. Like, cause it feels, it feels like home. It feels, uh, like the comfortable. Now you're in a comfortable place to express something because, because you've created a landscape for yourself to sing something melodic, which is pleasant for me. Like I, I, it feels good to sing a great melody. Uh, And I know that people in the audience feel, they feel good when they hear that. So then I think, well, now I better, I better take advantage of this and say something fun, like, you know, smart or funny or poignant or whatever it may be. 
but it's like I got an opportunity. Yeah. Is it any different than when, it, when it's by assignment? And I'm thinking of last year, you put out the uh, the Canada Loves You Back for uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that was terrifying because like initially that show was supposed, it was supposed to be a live in, in-person gala thing, that the Governor General. So this is the Governor General's Awards in Canada, which is kind of, I would say, the Canadian equivalent of like the Kennedy Center honors, um, where it's, you know, it's a big lavish event and they, they'll televise it and uh, a couple of people get a big award every year so they had asked me if i would come out and sing a song i was going to sing what a good boy and kind of this was this very staged slightly you know it had had funny elements and so on and then of course pandemic happens so they said we're going to wait and then a year later said would you consider writing a song for a virtual presentation instead and I was like, well, of course, I would love to. And I thought, I have to just do this now before I get scared. Because if you start to overthink it, I knew my biggest enemy would be myself if I was overthinking this. Because um, inside I'm thinking, well, it has to be both funny and poignant. But that's exactly Ryan Reynolds' wheelhouse. Like that's the thing that he does so well is do stuff that's really funny and kind of glib and also tug at your heartstrings. I mean, his hero is John Candy, who's the king of that kind of thing. And uh, I thought, well, I can't overthink it, but at the same time, I want him to both laugh and cry at it. And uh, I wrote it quite quickly. And thankfully, I got to be thankful to the to the producers of the TV show who loved it right away because they could have very well like a lot of that stuff hinges on if they sometimes if you get a producer of a TV or a movie or whatever else who just really needs to get their stamp on something. They may not know what's wrong with the thing, but they might just go, eh, it's not what we're looking for. We want something more, it sounds more like Coldplay or whatever, um, because they don't know what, um, what they want, but they know that that's not it. These folks were great. They had some, some really good, I had some even more obscure Canadian references from the seventies in there that they were like, ah, no one's going to get that. And I thought, well, that's the point. That's what makes it so funny. Um, but because of that, they made me kind of go back and I came up with funnier lines, that kind of thing. But yeah, that was just like, let it out. I had the phrase Canada loves you back as this. Uh, and I thought, well, I, that's, that's the chorus of the song. And uh, now, did it. you, did you, did do you have a friendship with Ryan? Because to me, it would be easier to write that if you didn't. <laughs> yes uh i but see like it's not like it's not like we're like best buds you know we do we we like we text and stuff like that and it's mostly jokes or talking about movies or whatever else but i met him uh we were on his sitcom two guys a girl in a pizza place um in 1990 i think that was 98 still 98 or 99 um we uh we were guests on that show and then a few years later, he was going out with Alanis and was on her tour uh, most of that summer that we were we, that we toured together um, in the early 2000s. So hung out with him a, a fair bit then. And then he came to a Stephen Page Trio show a few years ago, and, and uh, we got to hang out and kind of reconnect. And so since then, we've been friendly. But yeah, I, you do wonder whether you have the license to say some of this stuff or not. <laughs> I figured it's showbiz. I guess you may as well. Sure. At what point then do you ask, can I be in Deadpool 3? I think that's the... <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's crossed my mind, but I, I would never do that. I would never do I would never ask for that. 
look straight in the camera and say, I would never ask for that. I would never ask for that. I would, uh, you know, maybe hope for it. Or even, you know what? You know what I would hope for is to have a song on the soundtrack. You know, just just one sync license, Ryan. If you're going to give me one, make it this one. <laughs> and you're good for a while. Once you're yeah. in that, so you're good yeah. for a long while. And we'll be right back right after this. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Stephen Page. Um, I, I want to quickly ask about uh, also uh, you did a recent interview and you said that you were working on the Vanity Project too. I am indeed. I uh, uh, was. We did a tour of the UK in the beginning of September and spent some time with uh, my old friend Stephen Duffy. Before that, we wrote about half the record. Now that I'm here, I'm finally home after tour. I can get to work on finishing those songs and then uh, we'll finish the next half in the coming months, I guess. But very 20 years later, very excited to get to work on this thing. So is it is it because of with the partnership with Steven on that that you get to call it the Vanity Project? Like what makes it the Vanity Project part? Yes, two? the Vanity, Vanity Project is me and Steven. And, and uh, um, you know, so Stephen Duffy, who was my teenage and still one of my absolute songwriting heroes but as a teenager was just my he was my absolute number one and for after a multitude of kind of weird occurrences we ended up writing songs together including songs like jane and uh the um call and answer alcohol that a lot of people would know um over the years and it came to be a point in very good ladies where we decided we were going to keep all the songs in house and stop having kind of me doing bringing in these songs that I'd already written with Stephen Duffy and just try and focus on especially the songs that I was writing with Ed which was fine but it meant we had a ton of songs left over so we thought well let's make a record of this stuff so in the summer of 2002 we spent the whole summer in my house making this this record and we called it the vanity project rather than putting our own names on the front and then he was like you know what just make it your record so he just kind of like uh, he just kind of like slunk into the into the background and I went and promoted this record as a solo record under the nom de solo of uh, the Vanity Project. I've now re-released it as Stephen Page, though, so it actually gets like lumped in with my stuff on Spotify and stuff. Um, so, yes, the next one is uh, it'll be the two of us. He's producing it. He's saying he's basically saying, take your hands off it. We're going to write the songs together. You're going to sing. And then you're just gonna send me the tracks, and I'm because I, you know, I think he thinks that I uh, I overproduce stuff, so <laughs> I think this will sound maybe a little bit more like like the lilac time. I appreciate that you put your name on it because you know early in the interview, as we talk about being completists, and 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 you needing as you know a, a fan just to be in the box. It's got to be in yes. the box, right? It's... Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that, and that's that, that's the weirdest thing is I, I think about like how do you make a box set of. Uh, of stuff when when you have like four different labels that own things that's uh, just give it all back please nobody cares nobody <laughs> you're not gonna make any more money out of this stuff <laughs> let's put it because that's what um I, I remembered 
just happen to have this behind me. I only have this. Wow, because Off the Hook is not because on Off the Hook is on here. I mean, I collect soundtracks too. I love collecting soundtracks, but I don't know that I would have specifically had this one. And off, and that's the thing because Off the Hook's on an album on top of it, so I didn't need it, but I got it. Do you have the 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 new John Hughes box set? No, but I have asked my wife for it for Christmas, so we'll see. It looks pretty good. Although there is a speaking of Stephen Duffy, there he told me the reason why she loves me, which was from some kind of wonderful. Uh, by Stephen Duffy is not on this box set. I can't remember what the reason was, but it's like one of these very convoluted things where a label bought this thing and then another label bought the, and then eventually the rights are somewhere totally inaccessible. And it's just like that song just disappears. I noticed that probably happens, especially as I talk about soundtracks a lot. I mean, uh, let's see. I'm going to try to this CD shelf right here. Those I first see. five rows, I think, are all soundtracks. Wow. And it just, you know, and uh, awesome. and I notice, and but, but that's one of the reasons why I like to get them. It's because you can't, a lot of those songs, they, they're not on the streamers at this point, you know, it's right. That's even like, I've, there's a bunch of ones that I have just from my, you know, teenage years and in my 20s when I was just buying records all the time, records and CDs that, yeah, I'll, I'll try and make a playlist now. It's like, well, that song's not on there. There's no brilliant mind or whatever you know that kind of those kinds of songs that's like well that's gone now or uh or the other thing i used to love was remember in the 90s when it was the king of uh, when it was the the, the 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 pinnacle of the tribute album and a lot of that stuff just it's not out there it doesn't exist anymore now see so you head over to discogs and you guys still got to buy the physical media which you know that's fun i have I still it. a reason to get the like and get excited about it too yep yep you know so but it also means i have to keep my cd players in working orders and um it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know, the, with putting this record out, and of course the vinyl backlog, which I was well aware of going into, but my choice was like, well, I, I already had shows lined up, the UK tour and the Who shows and that kind of thing. It's like I wasn't going to wait until the vinyl was ready to release the album. I could, and then the album would be out in January or something when the vinyl finally comes out, or you release the CD. See, there's no backlog on CDs. They're like three weeks, and you got a you got a CD. So at every show, I have to say, if you have an older car, I have something for you at the merch booth. <laughs> My car has a tape deck in it. Well, I still have a use for tapes. Um, I just I bought the Mountain Goats uh, latest record, and it came with a cassette. And I was like, does any do either of our cars have a cassette player? I don't think either of our cars do. Yeah, my my old two thousand one Taurus that I still have out there is uh, which it was bizarre nice looking, to nice looking car. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like bizarre round. to me that um, that was two thousand one. Like that was well past cassette times. Like, why the hell doesn't this have a CD player in it? But my son, who's fifteen and you know, he's about to you know start looking at licenses and, and and cars and all that stuff, he's hard up that he wants that car only because the cassette deck. And I I had to tell him like, dude. You could put one of those in any car, honestly. You don't. Yeah, I guess you could buy them from eBay or whatever, and you can put that in. What about the? Will you set him up with his when he gets his license? Get him one of those cassette to to discman. Can, right. Uh, <laughs> the discman specifically too. That's a. It's gotta you be. Know, I, 
I do have the 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 tape with the line in it, you know, the odd yeah. score that you plug in yeah. your phone, but that'd be yeah, and here's the discman. That's... Oh, you can use I never even thought about the fact you could plug <laughs> your phone into that. It has to go into a CD player. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can use your phone, but I like the idea of like son, here's the discman. You, you put it on the no skip thing. That's gonna work for about twelve seconds, you know, yep. up here, and then uh we'll see if you can get through a full track. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's how I'm going to play the uh, the new Stephen Page record, Excelsior. Now, uh, for the rest yeah, of the day, it's going to be in a discman in my car. So just the way as God intended it. That's the way when they when 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 we mastered it, we mastered it in a 2001 Taurus. Actually, it was a 2001 Topaz, Mercury Topaz, the same car though. Once again, it's all about me, <laughs> my car, my yep. birthday. Thanks, yep. thank you, man. My pleasure. Seriously, uh, this has been fun. As always, I love talking to you. Congrats on this album. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Vanity Project Part Two and whatever else you got coming out. I'm always up. For I got it. got a few other things in the uh, working on right now that I think you'll probably enjoy. A couple I can't talk about yet, but otherwise, ah, uh, make another another full full record. But then I've got a yeah another project that hopefully before the before the summer will be out. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear the song that's in Deadpool Three too. That's uh, on the yes, on the soundtrack. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. And my thanks to Stephen Page. The new album is called Excelsior. Thanks to you as well for checking out the podcast. Before you get out of here, uh, do hit that subscribe button. Again, you get three brand new interviews every single week. New and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, at Spotify and Podchaser, NPR, WFPK.org. YouTube for the video versions, or again, anywhere you get your podcast from, subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. And also, if you're looking for more uh, content with uh, with me and Steven, uh, there was an interview we did just a couple years ago uh, that's further on in this series. So just uh, make that search wherever you're listening right now for a Kyle Meredith with Steven Page, and you'll get kind of a part two deal out of it as well. Uh, after all that, make sure to head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. That's Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. Of course, you can also catch me on the uh, the old social media spots, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all three of them. The address is at Kyle Meredith. So I do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When there's the smell, that's when you know you've like you've ruined it. It just it, it lingers. It's shame. It's the smell of shame. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.